Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are speaking here on day two, the second day of the new school year for most New York City public school students. It is Friday, September 9th, 2022. We are speaking here on the show today about the start of the new school year, which is the first full school year under Mayor Eric Adams and schools Chancellor David Banks. A variety of important pieces of the puzzle here, but first and foremost, that nearly or roughly 1 million New York City public school students, that includes charter school students, are back in school. Uh, We'll get more information on enrollment numbers as the school year proceeds, and that is one of the interesting points of contention as enrollment has been dropping in the city for a number of years uh, and accelerated during the pandemic. And many people are watching to see what enrollment looks like for this school year. Are there students returning to the school system? What do those numbers look like? And so forth. Mayoral control of New York City schools was extended for two years in June by the state legislature and the governor. That came with some changes to the city's panel for educational policy that dilutes the mayor's power there a little bit, allows for more representation from parents and uh, appointments from other officials. At the same time, the legislature passed a bill to require smaller class sizes be phased in in New York City across the board. Mayor Eric Adams opposed that measure. Governor Hochul has now signed it. She signed it on the first day of school yesterday, from the day we're talking here, on uh, Thursday, September 8th. Not in a big signing ceremony or any celebration, but just issued uh, issued the, the that she had signed the deal with a one-year delay on implementation, meaning it doesn't have to be fully phased in until 2028. More on the details of that shortly here today. As this new school year begins, COVID precautions are almost entirely removed in the New York City school system in what is now the fourth school year with this virus to contend with. COVID vaccination rates among youth in the city are quite low, but that doesn't seem to be a big topic of conversation here as the school year begins. Some concern among teachers and other adults in the school buildings about this, as well as some parents. As I said, enrollment in schools has been dropping. School budgets are down somewhat, and there's a lot of controversy around that. If you're listening to this program, you're probably somewhat familiar with the fact that there's been hundreds of millions of dollars cut from school budgets. The city council and Mayor Eric Adams agreed to a budget deal in June that included the plans for those cuts, and then the city council quickly realized they didn't like the deal that they had passed. And so there's been a lot of Uh, debate and consternation around those school budget cuts. That debate, including a lawsuit, is ongoing. More on that shortly as well. Mayor Adams, Chancellor Banks are starting to put their imprint on the school system with a focus on literacy and reading. Uh, They've issued new school safety plans and a variety of other initiatives that they've either gotten going or are planning to do. More on that in a moment. In some ways, it feels like something close to the first quote unquote normal school year since before COVID arrived in early 2020 here in the city. But it's obviously nowhere near that when you take a closer look, given the ongoing presence and danger of the virus, the trauma that students and teachers and others have endured over these last few years, the learning loss, the school budget cuts, and much more as well as, of course, the new mayor and chancellor. So there's a lot of excitement going on here in the city. I can speak from personal experience here as a parent of a kindergartner who just started at a new school 
for the first day of school yesterday, but also many challenges, a lot of unease, a lot of debate over policy, funding, and more. There's a lot of opportunity here for the new mayor and school chancellors, the many thousands of educational professionals, and the nearly 1 million students. So let's dig in here with Alex Zimmerman, a reporter with Chalkbeat New York, the education-focused nonprofit news publication that does such excellent work reporting on New York City schools and education issues. Alex Zimmerman, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time here on on day two of the new school year. I know yesterday was a, a crazy busy day and leading up for you, so uh, I'm sure that won't stop for a while. So thanks for taking the time. Um, yeah, no problem. First day of school yesterday, uh, you were out and about uh, with the mayor and the chancellor. What did you see? Where were you? Uh, what were some of the big themes that that stuck out on the first day of school? Yeah, so I started my day at uh, PS 161 in the Bronx, which is where the chancellor and the mayor uh, did their first day of school visit. Um, it was a school that they picked because it's part of a pretty small pilot program designed to help reach students uh, who are struggling readers, which has been sort of one of the biggest like identifiable policy pushes in education so far for this administration. In uh, talking to parents outside the school, I think there was a lot of you know relief um, that the, you know at least as far as we know, this school year is going to look a little bit more normal than the past couple of years. Um, there aren't any social distancing rules anymore. The mask mandate. Uh, is now completely optional. Uh, there's no random COVID testing happening in schools of, of students or staff. Uh, and I think, you know, just talking to parents outside the school yesterday, I, I kind of got the sense that a lot of people are kind of relieved for a school year that will hopefully look a little bit more normal. Um, you know, as you said at the beginning, like there are obviously still big concerns from lots of people about um, learning loss. I was talking to a parent outside the school yesterday who has um, a couple kids and, and a student with um, a, a disability. And she was sort of worried about whether there were going to be extra services available for her child and, and hadn't heard much from the city on that count. And we, we might want to talk a little bit more about that later. But, you know, sure. the city is kind of scaling back recovery programs for students with disabilities. So I think there are some questions about that. Um, but yeah, I think generally people were, were were excited to be there on the first day, and you know one of the one of the biggest things that I think the chancellor and the mayor were trying to highlight on that visit was some of their efforts to improve um, reading instruction this year. And they've issued some directives, and they're offering professional development as the year goes here to really um, you know shift the the focus across the board on how reading is, is taught in the city, and really this focus on literacy, especially with the mayor's own focus on. Uh, dyslexia screening, uh, you know, some really, really interesting pieces there that maybe we'll come back to if we have time. What, what, uh, I, I think those were some of the highlights as your article at Chalkbeat talked about, but what, what did the mayor and Chancellor Banks have to say at, as they ushered in the new school year? What were, what were the focus of their remarks? Yeah, I think they were really focused on like getting back to normal and, you know, making up for, for lost learning. Um, there was hardly a mention of the pandemic at all in their remarks. Um, I, you know, they, they were talking, you know, the, the chancellor and the mayor sort of ticked off a lot of the things that, that they have, you know, announced since they took office in January. You know, everything from, you know, the chancellor is really committed to 
providing more sort of career and technical options, though there haven't really been very many concrete plans announced on that yet. Um, they, you know, the mayor touted his effort to, um, uh, you know, reduce meat in in school uh, lunches and meals. Um, uh, there is a, a nod to the a recent reorganization that the chancellor is working on um, to move uh, a bunch of central staffers into into more regional district offices, which is sort of a weedsy thing, but something mm. that a lot of people in the DOE are talking about right now. Um, yeah, I think their message was, you know, we need to come out strong this school year, and you know, we're we, we're. we're hoping that it will be sort of a much less disruptive experience. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting and, and, and a, a shift, of course, new mayor, new chancellor, they can, you know, do things their own way, but it was an interesting shift. The mayor and the chancellor doing just sort of one school visit in the Bronx, the mayor, as far as I know, didn't go to other schools. The chancellor went to the school in the Bronx that you were at, and then wound up having a, a parent round table in Queens and a student round table in Brooklyn um, and then did a bunch of media appearances, but it was like a little bit of a different sort of first day of school uh, feel and schedule for the mayor and chancellor. What did you make anything of that, or is it just sort of new leaders doing um, new things? Obviously, they the mayor especially has been dogged by by protests over the school funding cuts. Maybe there was something to that, um, but you know, yeah, we've my, seen. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, my assumption is that was a big part of it. Um, you know, typically the mayor and more importantly, the chancellor do a big sort of multi-borough tour that, you know, is, are sort of strategically placed at schools that are highlighting various parts of their agenda. And we really didn't see that. Um, I think that's partly because they are concerned about getting protesters at these events. Um, the mayor uh, the mayor in particular has been trailed by, you know, activists and some parents um, who are protesting the school budget cut. So I, I think they were probably a little skittish about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 definitely notable that uh, there was not really much press access to the chancellor's, you know, tour of schools yesterday. And um, I'm, I'm not I'm not totally sure if that's indicative of their sort of posture toward the press as an administration or, or if there, there are other explanations there. One other thing I wanted to just note very quickly was you yes. asked about kind of what their main message was. And, you know, the mayor talks a lot about how broken the school system is and how it's really failed students. Um, he often cites statistics about how the majority of, of, you know, third through eighth graders like aren't proficient readers according to state tests. Um, and what's sort of interesting to me about that is they talk in this sort of very fiery language about that, but don't really have a theory of the case yet about like what to do about it. I mean, they have some, you know, initial policy items having to do with literacy that I think are important, but ultimately like not uh, like fair, they're just not like super dramatic changes, I don't think. Um, and so it's sort of interesting to, it'll be sort of interesting to see whether there's sort of rhetoric about the the current state of the school system matches like a, a policy agenda that has any urgency because we just haven't seen very much in the way of like here's our theory about how to like fix some of the structural problems mm -hmm. now the directives on what type of literacy to teach and the dyslexia screening seem to be sort of the biggest pieces of that right around addressing literacy in the in the early grades which are which is at least studies say and the mayor talks about so important to student success going forward right beyond, yeah beyond I, that yeah 
Yeah, I mean, they're definitely like staking a claim that the reading wars have ended and, you know, they're all in on this sort of structured literacy phonics approach. Mm -hmm. um, and they are requiring that schools use a phonics based program, which uh, is a little bit of a shift. But frankly, like most schools already have a phonics program. And right. the, I think the bigger question for like lots of experts is like, are schools using it effectively? Do teachers have the right kind of training um, to use it effectively? Like, is the core reading curriculum also quality? Because the phonics piece of it is often like a separate curriculum that's that's you know often not even done every day. Sometimes it's you know thirty minutes a couple times a week. Um, so yeah, I think there I think there's still some big questions about like whether just sort of saying you should do phonics is, is going to move the needle um, at, at, in a sort of systemic way. Yeah, you know, this gets at something very interesting because um, I, I was really shocked that right as the school year was beginning, the city council speaker, Adrian Adams, published a, an op-ed in the Daily News basically saying we've seen no vision from the mayor and chancellor about how they're running the city schools. Um, and, you know, the, the DOE took exception to that. But when they when the spokesperson for the Department of Education sort of put out a response, it seemed pretty thin. It, you know, it seemed sort of thin in terms of how, um, you know, they are articulating what the what their big vision is. Earlier this year, um, the chancellor, David Banks, had given a big speech with some of his pillars for, um, you know, for his vision for for the city schools. And what you're getting at is that not a lot of that has seen much follow through. Yeah, I think it's they've sort of laid out some broad principles, but are things that are like pretty uh, that don't necessarily feel to me like a clear, concrete strategy for mm. like system level change. Um, yeah, so I think that I think that is a fair critique of the administration so far. I mean, I do think it's also like. Uh, entering a school year as a new administration, they entered in the midst of like the Omicron surge. And so we're like immediately in crisis mode. And, uh, you know, I think it's taken the chancellor a little bit to sort of like figure out what organizational tweaks he wants to make and kind of get his team together. And I think it can be hard to kind of like roll out big policy quickly mm -hmm. like that, um, especially yeah. given that the mayor did not run on a particularly detailed like education agenda. Um, you know, it was really, yeah. it was, it was really interesting because, uh, you know, this is a theme I've noted and others have noted about the mayor uh, in his campaign about education and a number of other issues, which is not necessarily a lot of big vision items, but sort of this really big pledge to get things to work better. Um, and, and boiling that down in a lot of ways to sort of better management, better structure, better leadership, uh, accountability. You know, I, I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall when Chancellor Banks was sort of giving his vision speech, um, you know, he talked, he, he sort of said a little bit that, you know, we don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel on everything. It's not just about coming in and sort of trying to, you know, put your, you know, imprint on all sorts of policy. It's about make it is about making things work better. We don't have to throw everything out to put in a new vision. I thought that was an interesting sort of continuation of of that theme from the mayor. And so maybe that's a lot of what we're getting at here is, you know, some of the restructuring they've promised, some of the focus on reading and on uh, you know, sort of career technical education, which as you said, you know, we haven't seen a lot of movement on implementation of, but some of these sort of 
uh, nuts and bolts things that need to just be enhanced or run better. And then, you know, a stronger evaluation that the mayor has promised on exactly how $38 billion is being spent. And if it's being spent well, you know, those are sort of the building blocks of their vision, which is not necessarily to headline grabbing, but it is it is about, you know, effectiveness and and efficiency and making sure that the money is going where it's supposed to go. And, and you know, we need to see the continued implementation of that. But that's maybe sort of the, the big picture vision in a way. Right. And I think there have I mean, I think that is like a, a plausible interpretation. I do think there's like a little bit of attention there uh, with kind of what they're saying about like the system being broken. Like if you mm-hmm. if you really believe that, like, I think you would maybe see a different kind of like policy approach. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe they, maybe they do have some more structural changes in mind that they're, that they're um, not talking about publicly yet. Um, well, that, also yeah, that, that's really yeah. interesting, right? If you, if you believe that the system is fundamentally broken and not enough kids can read, especially kids of color, uh, as they've talked about many times, then, you know, you might think you'd need more sweeping, <laughs> sweeping vision and changes. And, and we haven't, haven't really seen that. Um, right, right. But you were about to say something, but I wanted to a- ask you something else about that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to add too that, like, if you're if you're selling yourself as someone who is sort of going to, you know, operate the system in an efficient way that's smooth, like we've seen a couple like really sort of significant bumps in the in the mayor's management and the school system kind of right out of the gate. Like they they struggled to appoint a full panel for educational policy, which is like a largely ceremonial body that the mayor controls, but like is it's sort of both very important and not important in, in terms of like crafting policy. Like they sign off on important policy measures, but because they're controlled by the mayor, they typically just sort of rubber stamp the mayor's agenda. But like they, they really struggled to like appoint people to that and to like win early votes on things that have been pretty pro forma in the past, like the city's funding formula. So they, 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 they definitely made some like sort of odd errors right out of the gate. Um, in, in terms of just like basic kind of management questions mm-hmm. that I think like raise some questions about the like argument about, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to sort of run things in a super competent way. Um, right. But, and, I, and I think yeah. that's across the board too. I mean, I think that, that that's been something that people have been pointing out about this new mayor where, um, you know, is, is he, he talked a lot about this theme of running government better. And is he really doing that on a variety of fronts? Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. Right. Something else. No, that, I think that covers it. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the things that was talked about a lot during the de Blasio years was, of course, the idea as a as something we're getting at here of, of sort of sweeping change that could really have an impact on how students learn and where resources go um, would be a greater push for changing how admissions policies are done, trying to integrate schools better in New York City. There was, uh, it's very hard to characterize, I would say, slow but fairly significant change on that under de Blasio. Of course, more sweeping changes were offered to him by a task force that he reluctantly put together. And then he sort of sat on those recommendations for a very long time. He ran for president and uh, other things. Um, That is something I heard during the campaign, Mayor Adams say, he thinks desegregating the city schools is very important, but I haven't really heard him talk about as mayor and I haven't really seen anything from this administration on um, on that effort. It, 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 am I missing something? Is that just not something no, they, I, they seem to be I, talking about? No, I, I don't get the sense that 
you know, school integration is a is a major priority for this administration. And I think that's something that's, you know, we're seeing in the, you know, school integration advocacy community, which is sort of really concerned right now about like whether some of the incremental gains they got under the last administration um, will kind of sort of peter out. Um, and in and some of the explicit policy measures that you know, the, the mayor and chancellor have put forward, like have a real chance of like exacerbating like some segregation in the city school system. So like one of the big things they like to tout is uh, like an increase in the number of like gifted and talented seats, but like the mm -hmm. gifted and talented program is itself like an incredibly segregated uh, program. Um, they've also, you know, at various times talked about like creating more screen schools, um, which are also you know, tend to be fairly segregated um, by, by race. And, and their um, contention on both of those, though, is that they can expand those opportunities and do something that has been tried before unsuccessfully, which is to expand those things and, and ensure that there's more diversity within those programs. Right. And I mean, I think there's like a broader philosophical question, too, not just about racial segregation, but about like segregation by academic ability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you create more uh, schools that are selecting students based on academic performance, then you end up with situations at lots of other schools where you have students who are far below grade level, sort of all concentrated on on the same campuses, which also has, you know, there, there's a, there are debates about um, like whether that is a good outcome academically for those kids. And some of these things, as I was getting at, are things that under the de Blasio administration, they sort of put some things in motion almost on the way out the door for the mayor. Those were easily reversible by the new mayor. Some of them never even really got past the announcement phase. And so, um, you know, uh, if if that was something that uh, de Blasio and, and some of his appointees were were more serious about it, they could have, you know, potentially done it earlier and had it already in place before a new mayor came in and make it much harder to undo some of those things. But now we have a, a new mayor who gets to, uh, you know, give his vision, give his vision a shot here. Um, the issue of, of school safety is something that Chancellor Banks uh, raised. Obviously, Mayor Adams, public safety broadly is is sort of his top issue uh, that includes the schools and around the schools um, and, and neighborhoods and schools where there is more violence than others. What's the what's the Chancellor David Banks vision on school safety that he outlined a bit right before the start of school here? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's maybe worth noting just right off the top, since you mentioned, you know, there were some policies that Mayor de Blasio announced that then sort of became up to Eric Adams. And one of those was a big school safety one, which was transferring school safety agents from the uh, from the police department to the education department. They're NYPD employees, even though they're stationed in schools. And the, the new mayor, Eric Adams, um, you know, promptly shelved that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think this administration is is. Um, feeling like a lot less inclined to sort of reduce the footprint of school police, um, reduce the use of metal detectors. Like, I think they are very concerned about, um, you know, weapons in schools and violence, uh, like in the, you know, surrounding schools. There were a couple incidents that were really tragic last year of students um, being shot and killed, like, um, like nearby their schools. Um, so I think their approach is to try to, you know, redouble um, sort of like school hardening kind of 
so like they're going to restock the school safety division. There had been like a lot of attrition of school safety agents during the pandemic. And mm. so they're now trying to sort of hire folks. They're trying to hire about 850 school safety agents this year, um, which would, I, you know, tr- sort of tr- is an effort to just sort of get them back to the level that they were at pre-pandemic. I don't think they're plan- they, they haven't announced to be like a big Mm-hmm. expansion of, of the school safety division um they're also you know having some conversations about and, and we heard the mayor talk about you know metal detectors at subway stations um that could sort of detect things we've heard some you know rumblings about that sort of technology in schools though it sounds like uh we heard some acknowledgments from officials a couple of days ago that they they didn't feel like that tech was quite there yet um mm-hmm. And I think they're having some conversations about like the possibility of of locking school doors, especially in the wake of um, the sort of tragic school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Um, so there are also some real trade offs there, though, in terms of um, like how do you you know allow first responders to get into schools, or you know students often arrive late, or you know. Right. Come, come to school as sort of a place of refuge. So locking folks out is also kind of problematic. So I think there's right. a real double-edged sword there that they're grappling and, with. And, and right now during the school day, all the doors except the front door of a school are supposed to be locked. Maybe, you know, my read of some of this was that there's probably a greater focus on making sure that that's actually happening at all schools, you know, that, that, that there yeah. is really the one uh, point of entrance, but um, there, there are right. some questions, as you said, about what they do with the, with the front door. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they announced that they had done this sort of sweep of all school buildings to make sure that like the emergency mechanisms and announcements and locks and, and those sorts of things were all mm-hmm. kind of working properly. So this discussion around hiring more school safety agents obviously set off yet another round of sort of <laughs> discussion and criticism and and support among some about how the city is spending its money about the school budget. Uh, cuts that have been uh, implemented. There's a lawsuit. Initially, um, there was a ruling that the city had to stop instituting the cuts and return the budget to uh, the pre-cut levels. Then uh, that decision was appealed and the city was allowed then to go through with the cuts, um, at least until there's arguments in the case later on this month of September. Um, And then we'll see when there's when there's a next ruling, um, there's roughly the city controller Brad Lander estimates roughly 370 million uh, being cut from from city schools, which includes roughly three quarters of city schools uh, losing losing money. Some city schools have seen their budgets increase uh, based on enrollment numbers. Ooh. The city council has been trying to get the mayor to sort of undo the budget that the city council agreed to. Obviously, there's been lots of sort of uh, very real mockery there of the city council agreeing to a budget that Mayor Adams was very clear would include the, many of those cuts to, to specific schools and then trying to undo that. But that's where they're at now. They passed a resolu- resolution in the city council. It's non-binding, but they want the mayor to restore those cuts. Controller Lander and others have pointed to unused federal funding that could be used to backfill those cuts. The mayor has indicated he doesn't want to do that, that, you know, at some point, some of these budgets have to be more, you know, sort of right sized based on enrollment numbers. The pushback, of course, is that even if some enrollment is down, one of the ways to 
bring some people back to the school system who may have left for private school or, or elsewhere would be to ensure that schools are well-staffed, that class sizes are a bit smaller, you know, the things that this funding allows, arts programs, music, et cetera. What do you make of where this budget discussion is at now? Am I leaving out any key pieces of the puzzle here? Uh, how And how is this hanging over the start of the school year? Yeah, I think the one one key argument, I think, that folks who are opposed to the cuts make is that you know, they, you know, acknowledging that like they were using federal funding to keep school budgets higher than they would have been if they had fully accounted for enrollment declines, like we're still sort of grappling with like all of these impacts of disrupted learning. So like, yes, this is, even if there's a fiscal cliff coming, like this is not the year to pull back from that because the impact of it is that schools sort of feel crunched. They Some of them are like accessing teachers or reducing arts programming or after-school programming, or in some cases, like class sizes on, on some campuses might get a little bit bigger. Um, so yeah, I think there's a real, I think this whole debate has sort of like been hanging over the whole school reopening process and the, the lawsuit, um, you know, the, those, some of the early victories of that lawsuit sort of like really threw into doubt, like what the funding situation was going to be, at, you know, on the first weeks and, and months of school, though it now seems like the cuts uh, will, are, you know, are obviously have gone through and, are, and, you know, that is the reality at schools right now, though there is a court hearing later this month um, in that lawsuit that could conceivably, um, you know, change the trajectory of those cuts. Um but yeah, it's just it is sort of a a, a, a sort of in some sense a, a complicated situation and one that is has kind of dominated the opening of school conversation in a way that um, I think has been really hard for the mayor and, and administration to kind of like message around. Um, I also think like it's sort of like they one sort of like piece of this debate that's sort of interesting is like they have a lot of federal stimulus money left over. And, you know, while it's true that it's one-time money and it's running out, and that was money that the previous administration had been using to kind of keep school budgets steady, um, they haven't really articulated, like, a clear uh, case about, like, what they're using that remaining money for, which just gives, like, a ton of leverage to people who are criticizing the cuts, being like, you have all this money and, like, you're, you're not using it to keep schools whole. So that was actually the, the question I was about to ask is, you know, the mayor has talked about we have to right size things. We can't keep sort of using, you know, the funding to backfill these budgets. They're supposed to be, you know, right size based on enrollment numbers. Uh, others have sort of said you have room to, you know, massage that and, and right sizing can be a fairly subjective measure, especially when you have all this federal money to use. Uh, but he's also said this federal money is accounted for. But as you said, it, it hasn't really been clear exactly how to spend it. And then the opposing argument from people like Comptroller Lander and others is, as you said, yes, there might be a fiscal cliff of sorts when this federal money is going to run out in a couple of years. But this is this is a really good place to use some of it, uh, not all of it, but some of it to ensure that learning environments and school communities this year, especially in this sort of very important COVID recovery year, are, you know, as resourced as as possible. And so it, it, it's, you know, 
I, I think there's a lot to understand in terms of how the mayor designed the budget in the first place. There's obviously a lot of questions to ask about what kind of due diligence the city council did and didn't do. Um, but then there seems to also be questions now about why the mayor is is being um, sort of as as stubborn about this as he is, although, you know, he's sort of outlined his rationale for a while now. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. I know there's fiscal there's fiscal watchdogs who are are saying Mayor de Blasio sort of tried to avoid some of this pain. And that made sense using some of the federal money. But but as Mayor Adams has said, you got to sort of start to move in the direction of the evidence of of where enrollment has been dropping and and you know do do your due diligence you know in terms of how the city's money is being spent i want to complicate like two elements of this debate really quickly one is just that i think this is really hard to wrap your mind around but like there's a difference between like school level budgets and the district's budget like overall so like school level budgets you know, obviously account for how many students are enrolled. Like there's an obvious logic to that. Like you need to like schools that have, you know, thousands of students need a different amount of money than schools that have hundreds of students. That just makes sense. Um, But the overall district funding doesn't really go up or down based on enrollment entirely. Like we've seen like enrollment declines before the pandemic were happening for years. And even as the district's enrollment declining, the city and state contributions to the city's education department were going up. So it's not actually obvious to me that like the situation after all of the federal stimulus money is spent is going to be that like the district has less money than it did before the pandemic. I mean, it's possible, but those are mostly like political decisions, not decisions that are just like derived from a, a per yeah. student headcount reality. Um, so I just think that's like, that's, that's a great, it's a, it's a great point. And this ties very much into what the mayor and chancellor have talked about, about has DOE central offices become too bloated or is there, you know, money that's being spent there that could be better spent elsewhere. They're eliminating some of the uh, executive, the executive superintendent positions. Again, you know, a lot of this stuff adds up state funding, education funding to the city has only been increasing. Um, So, you know, there, there, there are a lot of complicating factors to this discussion. Um, And, and the question about how, if at all, it's possible to boost enroll enrollment back up, you know, ties ties right in with this as I was getting at, you know, it's like, do you try to keep schools as resources as possible to make them more attractive to parents who may or may not be flexible enough to move to the city, move back to the city, move kids right. from private school back to public school? Um okay. You know, and then and then that ties in, of course, with <laughs> lots of other big questions that we won't get into now about housing and affordable housing and housing availability and more uh, public safety, et cetera. Um, right. Yeah. And there, there are two just well, there are at least one just like tiny thing I want to mention about that. One is just like uh, the, the chancellor has sort of said this, but and I think lots of like uh, media narratives have kind of echoed this that like families have fled the system, but there isn't actually like a ton of evidence that that's true. Like, yes, enrollment is down K to 12 by about 9.5%. But a lot of that is um, students not enrolling in the first place rather than like having enrolled and then leaving the system. Um, 
which I think creates like a different set of like policy realities in terms of like how you might think about addressing that. And the other thing that often gets um, sort of thrown out there that isn't, at least there isn't like a lot of strong evidence for is that like lots of students left um, the city's public schools for private schools, like private school enrollment has also dropped um, during the pandemic. So mm. that I think is like a little bit more complicated. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, charter no, school no, enrollment in just, yeah. And, and, and charter school enrollment has grown a, a, a little bit during the pandemic, but like not nearly enough to account for, you know, the students who have left like traditional district schools. I mean, yeah. again, I'm using the language left, but I really mean like who didn't enroll in the first place. Right. No, that's a key point. I, I try to be careful on that language, too, because there's 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 one big narrative out there, right, that like parents, you know, so many parents took their kids out of public schools and, and left. And and that's not exactly what what the data show, uh, even though, you know, Clearly, there was some some of that, as you said, but there's a lot of questions about um, where 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 the where students are. This is a a, a multi year trend, even before the pandemic of dropping enrollment. Um, there's there's lower birth rates, which again have only only dropped, uh, I believe, in in the pandemic. And then there's obviously questions around all sorts of things related to um, families and and the massive death and illness toll of the pandemic and what that may have done to some of the enrollment. And, and there's a lot of a lot of questions out there that still need to be sorted through more. A um, couple more questions for you. I'm speaking with Alex Zimmerman of Chalkbeat New York here. Really appreciate the time. We're speaking here on Friday, September 9th, 2022. It's the second day of the public school year for most New York City students. There's lots of charter schools that begin before uh, the other schools begin, um, but most New York City students back to school uh, yesterday, September 8th, 2022. Um, the, the accessing of teachers that resulted from the school budget cuts, do we know how many teachers roughly were excess from the schools that they were expecting to be at or the schools they were at last school year and the status of those teachers. Uh, obviously, many of them are supposed to be getting assignments at other schools, you know, including the smaller percentage of schools that were gaining enrollment and gaining uh, budget resources. Do we know the sort of status of that um, that shift? That's a really good question. I don't know the precise number of teachers who are accessed. Um, I can tell you that like the general framework for how that works is that, you know, if you're a school that lost students or, um, you know, had less funding, um, you know, you, uh, you know, release some staff um, from because staff are paid out of like a school's budget. Um, but, you know, those folks don't get laid off. They, um, are expected to find jobs at other places. Um, and the other option is that they end up in the absent teacher reserve, which is like a pool of folks who don't have permanent assignments, but still get paid by the city. Um, and obviously like the other dial the city has, right, is they can just hire, the city hires about, uh, you know, several thousand new teachers every year. So they can, you know, hire somewhat fewer new teachers to ensure that some of those folks get you know, find, can find placements elsewhere. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how that sort of like dance of new hiring versus like how they're dealing with like accessing from a um, like human capital kind of perspective is, has, has totally played out. Um, but this is, 
you know, while, you know, since so many schools are losing money this year, um, uh, there's almost certainly a lot of accessing happening. Um, but, uh, that is not, that is also not unique to this year either. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, there's this move that um, your colleague Rima, I mean, um, reported on at Chalkbeat about moving a thousand, uh, roughly a thousand central and boroughs level staff to to district offices to support schools more directly. Um, how does that how does that play into any of this? What do we know? What exactly they're going to be doing? And and um, you know, is, is this sort of a move towards uh, some of the themes that we talked about, which is this pledge from the mayor and the chancellor to better manage the school system and relieve some of the sort of central DOE bloat to better support schools more directly? I, th- I think it's actually really hard to assess this so far, just because there it, it, I think some of those key questions just like aren't super clear yet. Um, mm. I can tell you that like, you know, there are different administrations have had different theories about like how schools should be supported and supervised. Like typically the superintendent offices are there to supervise principals and supervise schools. And there were these sort of like separate borough offices that were more designed to support schools with a range of things from like sort of technical aspects of running a school and, um, you know, compliance issues to like sort of more support oriented things instructionally. And I, you know, what, what the city has basically done is they've like, removed they've sort of eliminated the borough office so the support structure and just have and are now having the superintendent sort of manage both the support piece and also the supervision piece and i think that's partly what's happening with this reorganization um the the move from like central staff to superintendent staff i'm a like i think the jury is like really still out on like what that's going to mean in practice um you know, the, I think the the DOE's argument is that that is an effort to move folks closer to schools. But like, I, I don't. I, it'll be interesting to see like what the school experience is, and like one of the questions we'll be asking of like lots of schools is like, is their experience of what they're getting from superintendents' offices like significantly different thanks to this? Because from sort of like a layperson perspective, it can kind of seem like okay, they're moving folks from like one type of central office to another type of administrative office. Um, and so I think it'll, I, I don't think we really know enough to know yet what the impact on like actual school operations will be as a result of that. And there's some discussion around um, just a more quote unquote normal school year, uh, uh, helping students sort of recover from the difficulties, the trauma of the last few years, uh, obviously lots of families and individuals impacted in the most devastating ways by the pandemic, others more disruption, uh, you know, absence from school, um, but a, a lot of different ways that students have been impacted and families have been impacted. And there's questions around whether there's enough resources going into counselors at schools, social workers at schools. Has that been uh, really part of the discussion here? It seems like that's mostly been sort of pushed off to the side from what I can tell. And that the idea of just get making sure that the school system is up and running, some of the debate over the school-related budget cuts um, obviously relates to the ability to hire more of these types of, uh, you know, professionals, guidance counselors, and um, others. But is that 
is that still being discussed or are we sort of in a, a holding pattern on that front? Yeah, I mean, so there was a previous commitment um, to promise that every school would have access to either like a, a social worker or counselor um, or have access to a school-based like health clinic. Um, and according to the DOE, like that, that is still the case. Like there should, there, like every campus should have access to one or, or one of those two things. But I do think you're right. Like a, a huge question for this school year is, you know, student mental health. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, like an enormous number of students have, you know, lost caregivers during the pandemic. Um, yeah. a, a lot of students have, uh, you know, not, it went sort of a year and a half with like extremely limited or disrupted schooling. Um, yeah, I mean, I think students are just grappling with a lot this year. And one of our focuses is also going to be to try to suss out like what what is uh, like, what is the landscape of, of, of student mental health support? Like, I mean, the city is also doing things like um you know, this administration has retained the last administration's commitment to community schools, which are um, schools that have like a lot of sort of social service partnerships mm -hmm. and partnerships with community organizations. Um, and so that seems like it will continue. And that has been something that um, I think has been one of the sort of celebrated elements of the last administration's approach that seems to be continuing and that I think could have, um, you know, that a lot of people would argue is a, a positive influence on making sure they're the right kind of staff connected to schools to help address some of those challenges. But yeah, I mean, I do think there is a, a much broader question about like, are those resources adequate and um, are students kind of getting what they need? Yeah. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that ties in with, um, you know, issues around uh, st student behavior and, and suspensions and things like that, that we know, you know, can often be manifestations of, mental health challenges or even even these questions about sort of academic recovery, there's going to be uh, obviously students in different classrooms where some students have had, you know, a fairly solid uh, last couple of years of schooling. And then some students who've had an extremely choppy, difficult and uh, one. And then there's, you know, big, even bigger gaps between some students and how, you know, students react to that, how teachers are able to give support, how schools are able to give support, you know, big questions there. And then and then the types of challenges that that can lead to, um, you know, for students and classrooms and teachers will be uh, really, really uh, important to keep an eye on. Um, Alex Zimmerman, anything we haven't mentioned that you just want to touch on in our final minute here? There was several stuff uh, items I, I couldn't get to with you, but anything else that's top of mind for you as the school year begins that you want to just mention? And obviously we'll be looking at Chalkbeat's coverage on a wide variety of issues, but anything else we didn't touch on that seems top of mind here? Or did we do pretty good service? Yeah, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> um, one one thing that you mentioned at the top that I'll just briefly note is, you know, yesterday the governor signed uh, legislation that would impose uh, stricter class size caps. And I think a big question um, over the next year will be sort of like, how does the administration uh, plan for that? I mean, mm -hmm. they had estimated that complying with the mandate would cost at least $500 million a year just for the K to five element of it. Um, and had really warned that, that doing that would result in cuts to other programs. Um, there are also just like obviously big questions about like if you impose class size caps at schools that are really crowded, like 
those schools just have fewer seats. So you either have to like build new classrooms or there's some language in the legislation about exemptions in those situations, but like no one really knows how like any of these exemptions are going to play out in practice. Um, so I think like that, that's another thing to just like keep an eye on. Um, that's, uh, that, you know, to hear the administration tell it before the bill passed, it was like going to be a really, uh, like difficult mandate to implement. So I think sort of following like how that plays out is gonna be important. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm just uh, imagining for Mayor Eric Adams' uh, testimony early in the new year uh, in front of the state legislature, uh, reacting to the governor's executive budget that happens annually and what that will look like related to this bill now becoming law. Um, now it does have a multi-year implementation the governor in the agreement with the legislature expanded that by a year uh, in order to get her sign on, which was taking the mayor's you know feedback and pushback into at least some consideration. But that discussion will be very interesting. Uh, state Senator John Liu, who chairs the New York City Education Committee in the state Senate, has really pushed back against the mayor, saying it's an unfunded mandate when he has said, you know, the state uh, just put well over a billion dollars more into city funding um, for education that can be used exactly for this type of thing. So there'll be an interesting back and forth there coming. Uh, but but this new, you know, this new class size cap, as you get at, would be a, a pretty significant shift. Um, it, it'll eventually cap classes at 20 uh, students in kindergarten through third grade, 23 students, grades four to eight, and 25 students for high school, which is uh, you know, a, a pretty significant drop across the board there. So that'll be very interesting to track the funding discussion around that and the implementation. And what you get at there, which is also a really interesting and important piece of this, is what happens at schools that continue to have crowding issues and space issues, even as we're talking about drops in enrollment. That's not true everywhere. Uh, and this coincides, of course, with this New York City Council redistricting process that's happening. And you know, which takes uh, population growth and census numbers into effect. Now, those numbers are already somewhat outdated, obviously, because of the pandemic in the last couple of years. But as that's happening, you know, this also relates back to our discussion about admissions practices and desegregating schools. And, you know, maybe it's time uh, for some more discussion around uh, how school district lines are drawn. And that gets into a whole bunch of other uh, thorny topics. So it'll be very interesting to watch how this all uh, unfolds. Alex Zimmerman from Chalkbeat New York, really appreciate all the time. Thank you for uh, the work you and your colleagues at Chalkbeat do, um, because I know it helps me <laughs> stay up to date on what's happening in uh, schools in New York City and education, and, and really appreciate you taking the time here. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. 